You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids and social media lead Natalie Leitchik host our community event where they discuss how you can drive growth through influencers, TikTok, podcasts, and more. Cool. Well, we will kick things off again, everyone. Thanks for joining today. My name is John Davids, CEO of Influicity. Natalie Lichik is our social media lead. And today we're talking about driving growth through influencer, TikTok, podcast, and a whole lot more. Excited to be doing this with our friends at J Group today. So welcome to all of the J Group team and clients as well. So let's kick things off here. Influicity, for many of you will know, we work with brands to build communities that drive revenue. And for us, it's all about thinking about how we use tools like TikTok and Instagram and podcast and LinkedIn in order to do that. And what I wanted to start off with today, kind of a fun story. I shared this on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. So some of you who are following me on LinkedIn, you'll have already seen this. But if you haven't, I'm going to tell you a story about this lemon juicer over here. So this lemon juicer is going to teach you a million-dollar marketing lesson. And let me tell you about it. So this lemon juicer, I got this in Italy. I was walking down the street in Rome with my wife. And we saw this street vendor sharing this lemon juicer. And here's how it works. You put this... It's got a serrated bottom. So you kind of put it into the lemon and you give it a twist. And then you pour it over salad dressings, juices, whatever you're making. And it's really cool. It turns any fruit, anything that juices into juice just by by putting it in a little piece of plastic. And we were walking down the street. And I saw this guy using this lemon juicer. And I said, what is that thing? And he was showing me, he was talking about how you can make juice and you can make uh, salad dressings and you can do all kinds of stuff with vitamins. And I thought this was so cool. And then he said, hey, do you have an iPhone on you? And I said, yeah. He says, pull up YouTube, go to this video. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at all these people in their homes using the lemon juicer. And he was telling me all the things you can make with it. And I thought to myself... So by the way, I bought two lemon juicers on the spot, one for myself, one for my mom. And let me tell you why this is such an important marketing lesson. It ties all back to what we're talking about today with influencers and TikTok and podcasts. And and that is this. Every great marketing campaign, every great marketing strategy, tactic has to revolve today around three things. Product demos, testimonials, and use cases. That is the holy trinity of how you actually sell your product. And this guy on the street was doing that in real time with something as simple as a lemon juicer. He was demoing the product and doing it in really cool, acrobatic ways, making it really fun. He was like, you know, stabbing it in and and doing another juice over here. And it was really cool to watch. So the product demo check testimonials. When he told me to pull out my iPhone and look at this YouTube video of all these people, this collage of people delighted with this product, great testimonials right there. And the different use cases. He was showing me how, how useful this would be. Now, I'll be honest, I probably used this thing three times in the last three years. But when I do use it, it's super helpful. And the fun and the joy that I've gotten out of it, worth every penny. So I'd highly recommend if you're in Rome, grab one of these things. And that is is how I want to kick things off today. Because I think that's a great segue to everything else we're going to talk about and how it ties back to product demos, testimonials, and use cases. And how you do that really well with all the channels that we have today. Podcasts and TikTok and, and all that kind of stuff. So with that, I want to hand it over to you, Natalie, and I want to I want to tee up the first question. So let's talk about B2B brands because a lot of people hear what I'm saying and they think, okay, that, that's cool if you're selling some 
D2C, you know, thing or something, some sexy product. But what if I'm selling like, you know, enterprise software or I'm selling manufacturing products? What do we do on the B2B side, specifically on TikTok? Because that's where a lot of attention is coming in today. So do you want to share some ideas about how B2B brands right now could use TikTok? Yeah. So I think starting out on TikTok as a B2B brand is a little bit trickier compared to B2C. As most of your audience it would be, you know, maybe necessarily business people or other companies, whereas most of TikTok's audience are younger generation, not necessarily business people, right? So it is a little bit trickier, but having that said, it's not impossible. It's still very much doable and it all comes down to your content. And I think the key aspect of making TikTok work for you if you're a B2B brand is by personifying your brand and personifying your company. I feel like a lot of brands are scared to be a little goofy, to follow the trends. They want to be super clean and want to be super professional and just like showcase what they do. But you really need to be relatable if you want your content to go viral. And that's, this goes for B2C and B2B. And I also think the thing with B2B too is that something we've mentioned in, in another webinar is that you don't necessarily have to go viral if you're a B2B brand. As long as you're hitting your target audience, and your target audience is seeing your content, I think that's the most important thing. And if they're getting value out of it and they're saving your content, asking questions, and you're actually generating leads, even if it's 5, 10, whatever, I feel like that's the most important thing. But I think personifying your brand, showing people that there's humans behind your company and we're just like you, I feel like that's the most important thing. People want to follow people. And you just nailed it. Personifying it and showing, hey, we're not just lines of code on a screen. We're actual people here with a mission and a passion to get things done. That's really important. And then the other thing you said, which caught my attention is, you've got to give people something that that is actionable. So it's not about like boring them with a with a laundry list of the features of what you do. It's catching their attention in 15 seconds and saying, Hey, here's a really clear benefit, or maybe here's a piece of value that you can use today. And TikTok is really, really great for that. Yeah, you show them if you're a service company, if you provide services, show them an issue that they might struggle with right away and then show them how your brand can help them. Don't tell them, show them exactly. So it's really tricky to kind of nail that when it comes to actually creating the content. But once you actually kind of play around with different types of content, I feel like you can really nail what works for you. Yeah, the other thing you said, and this trails to the next thing we'll talk about, which is measurement. We've got a lot of questions about measurement is if you're in B2B or if you're selling high-ticket B2C, that's the area where Influicity plays the most, B2B yeah. and high-ticket B2C. It's really not about volume. You don't need videos or any content to go viral in the sense that you need when you're talking about a consumer product where you need yeah. you know, to reach 500,000 people because that's how many you need to sell in order to make your economics work. When it comes to B2B, if you do a TikTok and it reaches, let's say... 2000 people, which is not a lot for a TikTok. That's like that happens every day with people. And maybe two or three or four of those people actually end up buying your product, or maybe 10 of them inquire and then two of them make a purchase. If you're a B2B company selling a $30,000 product, which a lot of our clients are doing, that's definitely valuable. So I wouldn't worry as much about reaching a whole lot of people. I would worry more about reaching the right people. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about measurement. How, how do you measure... We'll expand the conversation more broadly to maybe just social media in general. How do you think about measurement, whether it's in impressions, views, likes, shares? What, what are you looking for? So I would say there's, there's five different types of kind of analytics that you can look at. So there's obviously views and engagement. 
Um, so that'd be obviously views on your content, likes, comments, shares, saves, even on TikTok. I feel like those really determine what works well when it comes to the type of content that your brand should be making. And then there's also followers and that keeps track of people who want to keep watching your stuff. I feel like this is one of the most valuable analytics that you can track. And there's obviously website traffic and lead generation. So you can track the number of leads generated from TikTok and the conversion rate of those leads into customers. And then brand awareness. So you can monitor your brand's reach and impact on TikTok, including the number of mentions and hashtags used by your audience. So I feel like some of these analytics you can track in app, like on TikTok or on Instagram. But a lot of these conversion rates and sales and website clicks, you do have to use a third party app that you have to kind of sign up for. These are all things that you can track and it's all data that's available and can kind of tell you what kind of content is working for your company. Really good. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into, into those more in just a second. I'll just say off the bat, what we look for at a high level when you're starting off on any platform, TikTok or otherwise, is we're looking for consumption metrics first and conversion metrics second. And what that means is you first need to get people to know, like, and trust you and create some kind of a bond. And those are all consumption metrics. Like, are they watching? Are they watching for a long time? Are they dropping off really quickly? Are they liking? Are they commenting? Are they saving? Are they sharing? All those things that represent consumption. And then on the other side, conversion. So are they clicking the link when you put a link out there? Are they signing up to the list? Are they downloading the app? Are they inquiring for a sales meeting? Are they actually converting to any one of those things? So that always comes second. And I think where a lot of brands get tripped up is the standard thing. And we counter this all the time. You know, a brand will say, Okay, we're going to try this for 30 days, or we're going to try this for 90 days or whatever that timeline is. And the very, very first thing they look for is conversion. It's like, okay, how many sales am I going to get today from this first TikTok post, Natalie? And Natalie's <laughs> like, uh, none. You know, like It's not going to happen because you have to first get people to know, like, and trust you. And then it's going to be an avalanche of sort of conversions that come in. But you've got to start with creating a bond. Yeah. So that, that, that's sort of just how to think about it at a high level. With all the the five that you mentioned right there, are there any differences? Was that all TikTok or were those all the platforms? That's kind of all the platforms. I was mainly talking about TikTok, but kind of all like I know Instagram has their own very detailed analytics tools. And I, I personally really like Instagram's tools as well. So all kind of applications, content creation applications like that do have their own set of analytics that you can use, but they're very, I would say, surface value, not too in depth. I think Instagram's is a little better than TikTok. So if you do want something more detailed and you want to track those kind of more detailed conversions like website clicks and sales, then you're going to have to rely on a third-party application. But most most applications and most social networks will have their own. Yeah. TikTok has actually... It's been surprising how quickly they've rolled out advanced advertising tools and advanced analytics. People forget it's really only been a big app for like 2 years, maybe not even that long. And so it's not going to have the same capacity as Meta with Instagram and Facebook to do all that kind of measurement. And there also isn't the same kind of outside ecosystem. I mean, even things like you know being able to program a post into TikTok, which you were able to do with, with Instagram and Twitter for a long time, that just came up recently because TikTok is very new. And so their algorithm, their, their APIs, their, all that stuff is, is, kind of an, is kind of new. It doesn't exist in the market yet. What would be for those listening today? There's a lot of practitioners on the uh, that, that are listening in right now that are going to want to 
kind of distill this down. So as a social media professional, what are the, let's call it one or top three things that you're looking for that tells you, yes, this content is working. I need to lean into this more versus this is not vibing with the audience. They, they don't want this. If we're just talking content-wise, I would say number one is engagement. And it's as this isn't just views. A video can get a lot of views, but if it gets no engagement, it means it's not resonating with people. So I would look at how many people are actually liking and commenting on a specific type of content. Or is there a lot of dialogue under the video? Are you sparking questions or, or any type of comment whatsoever? And I feel like that comes down to the content. You need to make sure your content is igniting that kind of spark for people to talk. And then I would also say followers, I would say is number two. Because if you're creating really good content, but it's not actually turning into followers, then you're not really going to see growth, right? So you need to find a way in order to make content that's engaging and also getting people to want to see more and get them in turn to follow you. I was going to say, so when it comes to followers, are you somebody who will push like follow for more, follow for more, like really strong call to actions there? When it comes to clients we've worked with, I do do that. But like for my own personal TikTok, I've personally never done that. I just kind of like to let the content speak for itself and then let people follow me if they want to follow. I do say, you know, check out my page if, if you're into XYZ, but I don't necessarily say, hey, follow me. I feel like it, it's, it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It can be a great reminder because sometimes people will engage with a piece of content and they just don't even think or remember to follow or even think, Hey, maybe this person has content similar to this on their page that I would like. So that kind of reminder isn't a bad thing at all. And I feel like it's something people should definitely integrate into their content and see if it works for them. And then I would say for number three, I would say saves and shares are number three. Saves are obviously, I think, the most important because it shows that people... It's very easy to like a piece of content, right? People aimlessly scroll. They like basically everything. I know me personally, I will like everything on my For You page, even if I don't like it. But if I, when it comes down to saving something, I think that's one of the most valuable things because that means this is something I want to refer back to. I want to go back to this person's profile. I want to go back to maybe there's going to be some sort of update. Maybe they're going to do a part two. So I want to save this piece of content and refer back to it. So I feel like if you're creating the most value, I feel like that's what will in turn, make people share something or save something. I feel like that's the most important thing because you want people to check back to your page, right? You don't want them to just you know follow once and then forget about you. You want them checking. You want them referring back to you. Is there an update? Is there a part two? All that kind of stuff. That's a really interesting tactic. And going back to the question about B2B... This question, by the way, came from Anna about B2B brands using TikTok. Creating regular content series, content pillars, and yeah. as you said, like part one, part two, part three, or just, hey, every Tuesday at this time, we do this. That's actually an interesting tactic to use because it brings people back and gets them to expect, oh, okay, yeah. like, you know, every, every day this person does this. And so, is that a tactic that you've used for any of our clients or just, just more broadly? Yeah, I've used, I've used that tactic. It's honestly one of the greatest things you can do to build your, audience, I think. Because especially if you have a video that goes viral, it's obviously what people like. And if they're following you because of that video, it means they probably want more of something like that. They follow you for that specific reason, right? So I feel like finding a way to make a part two or making it into a regular series, whether that's once a week or, or every two weeks, finding a way to talk about that subject in more than one way 
will be great for people to, ref- to go back to your profile, you know, whether that's multiple times a week. And obviously, if a piece of content goes well in the first place, then that means that topic is probably going to be pushed out more. So just finding a topic that does really well on your page and keep doing that, I think is a great way to steadily build your audience. Moving on to a question from Helen now. And by the way, if you have questions as you're listening, drop them in the Q&A area. We will get to them. So Helen's asking, what top affiliate influencer marketing platforms are recommended? So a couple different ways to look at this question. Let's talk first, Natalie, about affiliate marketing and just what's your take on influencer affiliate marketing? And then how might a brand go about building an influencer affiliate program? Yeah. So for those who don't know, affiliate marketing is kind of like a commissions-based program. You find an influencer and you don't necessarily pay them. You can pay them outright and then plus do the commissions on top of that. But for a lot of smaller influencers, companies just opt to give them a unique code. They can give it to their followers and then they'll get commission for every sale. It's a good thing for brands because you don't necessarily have to you know, waste your money paying a specific influencer and then it not generating any leads or any sales. But I feel like if you are worried about that, then I feel like it's it's best to work with a bigger influencer and actually pay them for a good quality piece of content and also paying them for their audience as well, right? So a bigger influencer isn't necessarily going to agree to work on just commission. They usually won't and they might be insulted if you offer that. So I think it's it's good to give an influencer commission on top of pay if they're bigger. But having an affiliate program with smaller influencers is also great for the influencer because they can kind of put their foot in the door of, of the whole world of influencing, right? And you do get some sort of brand awareness from that. But in terms of actual affiliate influencer marketing, I would say there are some third parties that kind of do the dirty work for brands when it comes to affiliate marketing. Some brands like to directly work with affiliates, but some prefer to work through affiliate network because it kind of simplifies things for you. But in terms of figuring out which one is right for you, I would say it all kind of depends on your brand's individual needs. And we would say, do your research thoroughly and figure out if working with an affiliate network is even something that you know is right for your brand. My take on influencer affiliate marketing... And I've been in the influencer business for probably 8 years now. Influencer affiliate marketing is great in theory and usually terrible in practice. And the reason is this. In order to get the results that you imagine you can get out of influencer affiliate marketing, you will typically have to go to such a scale that brands will never get to that scale. And so what I mean by that is if you want to... Let's just think about like a funnel. Like I want to make one sale. So I need to get, let's say, three inquiries. And in order to get three inquiries, this thing has to be seen by making these numbers up 10,000 people. And in order for it to be seen by 10,000 people, I need 25 influencers to do this. So in order to make that actually work, you now have to go out, probably inquire with 100 or 150 influencers to see who's going to do this for free, you know, just based on commission. So I will pay you X dollars for every sale that comes in. They have to do it a, a, you know, a certain number of times for get them to get the repetition and the frequency that their audience actually reacts. You know, Every step of the way there... I mean, I'm not even done yet. But everything I've just said is a gargantuan lift. And what I've said to brands is that you can do all that or you can just write a check for $10,000 and it's like done tomorrow. So I think influencer affiliate works in rare cases where you have an army of people that are actually going to go out and take the time to bring on a whole bunch of influencers 
and you're giving the influencer a free product that they really, really value. And they actually believe they can convert their audience, like really, truly believe, yes, I can sell 15 of these things. So like I've seen it done, I forget the brand names, but I've seen it done with like certain kinds of teas and like healthy drinks. I've seen it done with teeth whitening products and like a lot of vanity products, beauty and things like that. And honestly, like it was kind of big for a minute in like 2018, 2019. I have not seen a successful influencer affiliate program done in the last three years. I'm talking at scale here. Like, yeah, you can do it to sell five things or make a few thousand bucks. But if you're talking about a, like the brands that we work with, you know, a blue chip a brand or a, you know, a company that wants to sell millions of dollars worth of something, influencer affiliate is usually a much bigger pain in the butt than it is to just do something like anything else. So that that's my rant on influencer affiliate as someone who has tried to do it many times and it just never worked. So in terms of just like you talked about like a better solution there Natalie which is find someone who's a little bigger and actually pay them to create a really good piece of content. Would that be kind of the straight approach like what's your ideal approach to running an influencer marketing program? I would say yeah just straight up Find someone that you obviously have done your research on and you know has an engaged audience. You know, they the audience trusts them. And I would say just straight up pay them. Because if you obviously if you're a smaller brand, that might not be very affordable for you. But I think that's something that a brand should definitely kind of strive for. Because if you just want to give free product, realistically, the type of people that are, are gonna agree to just free product and commission are usually smaller influencers that don't have as big of a reach. So if you want to set if you want to just send product to a bunch of influencers that don't have a don't have a big reach and don't have big engagement, you're not really going to get the results that you're looking for anyways and then you just have wasted product. So I feel like you should just kind of save the time and effort and then just go kind of go big or go home essentially is what I would do. Yeah. I would say also just to go back to what I said a moment ago, the two examples I gave which was like the beverage stuff and the beauty stuff where influencer affiliate programs work. The other things they had going for them are they were tiny startups. So they had nothing to lose, which is a great luxury to have, which a lot lot of brand managers don't have that. They actually have to hit their targets. And the second thing they had going for them is they built up a huge community at the beginning of influencers. So a lot of influencers just like wanted to get their hands on the product. It's very different if you're talking about enterprise software or really anything that doesn't have like huge sexy appeal where people just need to get their hands on it you know could a big brand run influencer affiliate like maybe if you're a brand like apple or nike where getting a product into someone's hands is really like the thing to do but ironically if you're a brand like apple or nike you're never going to run an influencer affiliate program because it's a total waste of your time you yeah. you care much more about the quality than on saving the you know the $200 to get someone to do something so that's sort of the high level take on influencer affiliate if you still really want to do it and, and experiment on your brand i would just say work with a company that really knows what they're doing there cuz it's harder than it looks This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. Okay, let's talk about strategies right now, Natalie, that are working on... We'll do TikTok first, then we'll do Instagram, and then we'll cover LinkedIn and podcast after that. 
Let's start with TikTok. What strategies are working right now for TikTok content that actually works? What, what's, what's trending right now? What's trending on TikTok, I would definitely say... If you're actually looking for specific content ideas, I would definitely jump onto the whole CapCut template trend. I don't know if what is that? You got to break that down. Yeah. So CapCut is a video editor for iOS. I don't know if it's on Android or not. But it's a video editor, essentially. And they started coming out with these templates where you just upload a specific clip or a specific photo. And CapCut does all the work for you. It edits it to make it look super professional, super cool. And you have basically have no knowledge of editing and you're, you're getting really awesome content out of it. So these type of cat cut, cap cut, that's a tongue twister. These trends and, and templates are trending on TikTok. I feel like every week there's a new template from CapCut that I see going around and I'm like super quick to jump on it. And I don't even pay for CapCut. So you don't have to pay for it at all. And you can use these templates. And in my experience, these templates always do really well. So this is these are one of the biggest trends I'm seeing are these templates. It's it's great if you have no idea what you're doing and you want funny, trendy, relatable content, I would jump on to these templates. It's so funny because before this started, you and I were talking and we were like, let's not talk about AI. Let's not talk about anything like that. But this yeah. is AI. Exactly. A, you know, a video editor that makes you look like you're a, some super video pro and you have no idea what you're doing. Exactly. I see these these templates on my For You page and I'm like, I can't believe this was literally edited by an AI, essentially, by CapCut. Like this wasn't a person. Yeah. And CapCut is... I don't know if we know the answer to this, but is it owned? Is it a TikTok app or is it unrelated? It just works on TikTok? I don't know if it's related or not. I know it it does work really well on TikTok. So it might be related. I have no idea about kind of the, the details of that. But they are they do work really well together and and TikTok does support all these cap cut templates. So I don't know, maybe they have some kind of some kind of deal, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I thought somewhere I might be wrong about this. Oh, it's not owned. CapCut is not owned by TikTok. I'm just just Googling it now. And what are some examples? Like, can you give an example of the last week or two of what a CapCut video might look like? So in case people have seen it, maybe? Sure. So, okay, this might be a little bit difficult to explain, but the newest one that I've been seeing is this dancing dog from a Barbie movie. And it's just supposed to kind of represent like when you're happy or like you're on your way to do something super relatable. And CapCut takes this video of this dancing dog and cuts out the background. So you can put your own background and this dancing dog is like on your photo or on your video and you find a way to relate it to your niche or to your brand. And I've been seeing it do really well for a lot of brands. So that's just basically one example. It's a little funny and, and kind of lighthearted. But I feel like that's kind of what we talked about earlier is you have to not be afraid to be a little silly and jump onto those trends because that's what people are really loving. So we manage TikTok accounts for a lot of big brands you know, in apparel, in D2C, and also in B2B and software. And what I'm curious is, do you have the freedom? Like, what kind of pushback do you get, or if any pushback, if you suggest to like an enterprise software company, hey, we're going to do a dancing dog on this, whatever? Like, is that something that you can actually do? I think it all really just depends on the brand and kind of the people working behind the brand, if they're really willing to kind of like listen to what I have to say. I'm, you know, social media expert. So I, I know what does well, but I feel like there are some brands and especially the more kind of, I would say the B2B brands, they are, they do kind of push back when it comes to doing like silly, fun stuff like that. 
But when it comes to B2C or if they're selling an actual product, they're way more willing to open up and do these kind of new, really fun trends. But I feel like these kind of trends can work for everyone. And you just have to be like, you have to realize that you don't always have to be super clean cut and super professional. And this stuff, yeah, as long as you relate it back to your niche, it can honestly work for anyone. The other thing that you've been doing for one of our clients I've seen, which has been doing super well, is doing really quick informational videos. So it'll be like, let's just say you run a restaurant or you run a factory. You'll create a video that's like, Hey, did you know X? And it's like a really fun fact delivered really quickly. Does that kind of content, like really service-driven content of just telling people something, does that work well? I think it does work well. It's obviously more niche and I don't think it's necessarily going to go viral, but I do think that the people that engage with that content and like that content are going to be your target audience. So I feel like that's kind of the most important thing. And I feel like when you are creating content, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram, you do need a variety. So you can't just follow trends all the time because you're not, that's not a, like a, like a concrete plan. You need to have something kind of like what we talked about earlier, having like a series. Like, so if you want to talk about, once or twice a week, talk about tips. If you're, you know, in, in the factory industry or restaurant industry, talk about tips for, you know, a business owner or whatever it may be and do that multiple times a week. And then on top of that, do trends. I feel like doing just a variety of, you know, educational trends and having a concrete pillar and having multiple pillars like that, I feel like is the best kind of content strategy. Let's talk Instagram. Same strategy. Is it different? What are you seeing on Instagram? It's similar, but it is shifting more. I feel like Instagram is finally listening to people because they've been wanting to be TikTok for the past little while and they've been pushing reels. So people are like, well, where do we share our our photo content, right? So Instagram has been pushing carousels again. So if that is something that you guys you know are into and you want to share actual static posts and carousels and educational content... I would definitely jump back onto carousels now. We've been doing carousels for one of our clients and they've been performing really well, sometimes even better than reels. So I would definitely jump back onto the carousel trend now. Hopefully it stays this way because you know Instagram is a photo sharing app. So hopefully it stays that way. But yeah, I would say definitely like TikTok, have a variety of content, keep doing reels, but now also do, do your carousels, do your educationals, do your trendies. Obviously you have the stories, the same kind of thing, but... It's just the way that you present the, the content that's a little different, I would say. And what's a smart way to use carousel? So people, I'm sure they probably know, but a carousel is that thing on Instagram where you swipe your thumb to the left and more photos appear. Is there any content format that works really well with that form factor? I would say have a really strong kind of question as your first photo and as your first slide. I know usually when I see some carousels on my Discover page, it usually have a, has a question that I kind of like relate to or an issue that a lot of people might have. So it'll say like, are you struggling with real views? Here's why, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And then I click it and then I have to swipe to get the answers. So I feel like having something, it's kind of like, like it, it is kind of like making a TikTok, like making the first few seconds, really capturing someone's attention. It's the same kind of thing with carousels. Make sure the first picture really captures attention. No matter what platform you're on, this is a broader point based on what you just said. If you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, if you're on LinkedIn, where I'm most active, the hook is everything. If you yeah. don't have a strong hook, it can be the first 
seven words. If it's a text-based thing, it can be the first sound or the first image. If it's a video thing, or it could be the first picture. If it's a carousel thing, you need to catch people off the top and grab their attention or they will never come in. And I've seen great pieces of content with a weak hook and they, they fall flat. And then that exact same piece of content with a different hook, it's just like you know the headline in a newspaper. The great hook brings people in. And now all of a sudden, you have tons of engagement because the content was good to begin with. You just yeah. never drew them in at the start. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about uh, what about Facebook? Like, I don't know how active our brands are on Facebook or or how much of your day is on Facebook. But any tips on what's working there? I'm not too familiar with Facebook. I'm not a big not a big Facebook user, and a lot of our clients, at least that I've been working with, aren't big Facebook Facebook people. But I feel like Facebook does work depending on your target audience. If you have an older target audience, I would say Facebook is definitely something that you can work on. You can repurpose a lot of your Instagram content onto Facebook. So I know Facebook does support Instagram Reels, I believe. So if you're uploading a Reel onto Instagram, you can just kind of repurpose that onto Facebook and see how that does. The audience might be a little different since I think Instagram has more like millennials, Gen Z maybe. And Facebook, I think, is the older audience. So you might have to shift your content strategy based on the, the platform. But I feel like you can repurpose a lot of the Instagram content onto Facebook. And I know Facebook supports stories as well. So it's I don't think it's too complicated if, if you're trying to repurpose. We had one client... I, by the way, I do have a, a really good Facebook tip I'll share in a second. But we had one client that was using Instagram. And then this, the reels on Instagram kept going viral or kept getting a lot of views on Facebook. Like We weren't even intending that to happen. It was just happening itself. And then they said, okay, well, let's actually put a little more emphasis on Facebook. But were we creating any different content for Facebook or was it just the same stuff? It was essentially the same stuff. It was when it comes to actual static posts, that was separate. And we did different static posts on Facebook than we did with Instagram. But it comes to reels and Facebook videos. I don't know what it's called on Facebook, but Facebook videos, it was, it was the same thing. So, like I said, the content I think is is very similar on Facebook as it is on Instagram. So if you want to focus on both, that's you can just literally repurpose your content and it could could do well. Quick tip on Facebook. So Facebook groups are something that we've been paying a lot of attention to recently. If you're selling professional services, so if you're like a law firm or an accounting firm, or you're selling certain types of software, or anytime you're going after a very select professional group. And I mean, any profession from engineers to advertising professionals to movers to whatever it is, there are Facebook groups on pretty much everything. And they actually have really, really high engagement. I don't know when or how Facebook became like the dominant platform for this kind of thing. Some of it happens on Reddit. Some of it does happen on LinkedIn too, although LinkedIn groups have kind of faded away, in my opinion. They're not quite as strong as they once were. But Facebook groups are very big. So what we're doing right now for some of our... Again, this is sort of software and fintech clients. We're really diving into Facebook groups and using them in two ways. A, to just create content, start conversations, create thought leadership content and engage the community. You know, So if you have 25,000 people who are all in manufacturing and you're in the biggest Facebook manufacturing group for manufacturers, that's a place where you could really have a lot of conversation. And the other thing is the moderators of those groups generally are influencers. So we'll pull them into our ambassador programs. We run ambassador programs for lots of different brands. And that's a great place to find, hey, who's influential in this super niche space? Oh, the person that runs the group on that thing and spends four hours a day just talking about that one thing to all these people. So that's a really good way to use Facebook. 
And it's a way to target the B2B audience as well as B2C, but B2B is still there. You know, Facebook has like 2 billion users a month. So big, big audience for sure. Yeah. Just depends on who you're trying to target, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. It, it doesn't get as much buzz. You know, definitely it's more of a utility, I think, although yeah. they would never use that word versus like TikTok, Instagram, which is more for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's talk podcasts. So I can talk a bit about this and how we're using it first. And then if you want to chime in afterwards. So podcast, I would say, goes back to what we were talking about earlier about TikTok in the B2B context, which is you don't need to worry so much about scale and volume and reaching all the people you can. You really want to use it more like a laser pointer. Who is the exact buyer we're trying to reach? And let's create content that is really tailored for them. So what we're seeing there, for example, we're working right now with a big bank. A big They do things like, obviously, banking, lending, insurance, that sort of company, multi-billion dollar company. And we're working on a podcast in that respect, which is really just targeting a very select segment of business professionals. So it's not all people. It's not all business professionals. It's a select few business professionals who engage in one specific activity. I don't want to say what the activity is, but it's that particular activity. And the reason the podcast works is because it doesn't need to reach very, very large scale in order to be really, really successful. Right. So if you're selling something again, B2B or high ticket B2C, you can have a situation where the 3,000 people or the 700 people that tune into your podcast, if you can convert even two or three of them a month, you're really going to be doing well. So that's the best way to think about podcast where I wouldn't recommend podcast as much is if you're selling a very, very low priced B2C or D2C product. Like you can do it there and it's a great brand builder and a great community builder. But you're really not going to be able to get a lot of conversion from that. You're going to get conversion from other places that we've already talked about. TikTok, Instagram. It's going to be much easier. And there's a few reasons for that. One, discoverability on podcasts is just so hard. You're basically creating a media property that lives inside itself and has no way to be discovered. Like There really is no good podcast search engine. Hey, I'm really interested in this topic. I'm really interested in manufacturing. I'm really interested in in the food service industry, what are the best podcasts? Yeah, you'll get lists. Most of those lists are made by vendors in the space who are just trying to please their clients. But is there like a really like a Google for podcasts? No, there's not. And the other thing is that even when people listen to podcasts and love those podcasts, sharing a podcast is really, really hard because again, you can't just click a button and share it. And so discoverability is hard for those reasons. So how do we actually drive audience to podcasts? This is sort of our thesis because we make a lot of podcasts for brands. You need to use the podcast as a source of content and then create a lot of other pieces of content from that source. So the podcast becomes clips, video clips and audio clips. And you distribute those on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and wherever else. You create blogs out of those podcasts. You create LinkedIn posts out of those podcasts. My LinkedIn, probably once every couple of weeks, I will do a LinkedIn post, a written version, not a transcript, but like a nice summary of a podcast. And that'll drive a few hundred listeners from that LinkedIn post to that podcast. Happens every single week. Took probably about 9 months to get to that point where there was enough traction and momentum that, that there's that consistency. But that's a really great way to drive people over. So you've got to think about how do I take this source content and turn it into all kinds of other little pieces of content that can get out there. Last point I'll make about podcasts, if that's something that you're doing. 
Think about podcasts as something that you integrate into your wider distribution strategy. So what I always say is, let's say you're a big real estate company. We work with some big real estate developers. And what we'll say to them is, you know, you guys are already doing a lot of PR. You're doing a blog. You're doing LinkedIn posts. You're doing webinars, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you take this podcast content and use it in through all those pipes? You already have all these distribution outlets. Use it in those places. So the podcast is not like some thing that's just sitting here on the side, but it's part of your regular content program. And it works two ways. Content from the podcast goes out and other content that you create elsewhere, like webinars and blogs, comes into the podcast and becomes like a new way to create content. So that's how successful podcasts work. So just to sum that up, don't worry about huge audiences. Worry about the right audience. And make sure to integrate the podcast into everything else that you're doing. I'll pause for a second. Anything you want to add on podcasts, Natalie? I mean, I feel like you're you're kind of the, the podcast expert here. But yeah, kind of like what you said, I feel like, especially on TikTok now, now they're saying to upload like 5 times a day on TikTok. And that number honestly sounds scary and terrifying. But I feel like when you do things like that, like recording your podcast sessions, if you have a podcast, I feel like that's a great way to start. And it's it's a, such an easy way to generate content and you don't even have to do any work for it. And then in turn, it'll get people to want to listen to your podcast. So I feel like you nailed it. Yeah, we have a system internally. We do this for a lot of podcasts. So mine included, but a lot of our client podcasts uh, do this as well, where we'll take the video. So something like this, we don't use Zoom, but we'll use a program to capture both the video and the audio. Then that obviously becomes the podcast. Then we send that out over to our team that does the clip editing for TikTok. And out of a 30-minute podcast, they will generate 5, 10, 15 TikTok clips. And by the way, it could be 100 TikTok clips if you want it to be, because there's all kinds of ways to make it fun and different and say the same thing in 10 different ways. So that's another great way to produce content. And the reason I say that is because you don't even need to think about your podcast as a revenue generator at that point. It's a content machine. And it's a way to just create lots and lots of content that feeds the other pipes and those pipes drive the revenue. So that's a great way to think about it. Let's wrap up on influencer because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of even though this has been something that we've been, you know, in the market doing for eight years, a lot of brands still are just kind of warming up to the thought of influencers, especially in B2B or in segments where it's not as obvious, like beauty and fashion, everyone knows how to do influencer marketing. A little less obvious if you're selling products that aren't working as well, that, that aren't as obvious to showcase. Any advice that you have, and maybe let's jump over to YouTube because that was kind of where influencer marketing started. Any advice on how to kind of get the most out of your influencer marketing? That's a great question. I feel I feel like the best way to get influencer marketing to work for you is finding someone who honestly has the best connection with their audience because you can work with an influencer who has like millions of followers, but if they work with absolutely any brand that pays them, their audience probably doesn't trust them. Especially if their captions and their content and whatever it is, seems very produced and not genuine. And it seems like they're reading off a script, whether this is YouTube, TikTok, or Instagram, then you're not going to want to... You're not going to get the results that you're looking for. So I feel like find someone who... Honestly, look at their past sponsorships. See how they handled that. See the type of content they created. See how their audience responded to those sponsorships. Was it a positive response? And if it's a positive response, you know that these people trust these influencers and that these influencers are worth your while and they're worth 
working with. So I feel like it's kind of the same on all platforms is finding someone that's genuinely trustworthy, finding someone who isn't afraid to show their vulnerable side because people relate to someone like that, right? So if people are watching someone who tells me all their struggles and is open and honest about everything in their life and they recommend me a product, I'm going to be like, okay, well, this person's honest about everything else. You know, why would they lie to me now? So I feel like if you really want to get the most out of influencer marketing and and sponsorships, you really need to do your research and work with someone who's vulnerable and open and honest and trustworthy. You told me a funny story a little while ago. So I'm not going to I'm not going to name it, but you at one point had a very big YouTube channel. I don't know if you still do or if you're active, but you're you're a big OG YouTuber yourself <laughs> and you told me at one point your content didn't perform as well because I think you described it as you weren't as authentic or you weren't trying as hard or whatever. So I think that's actually a great, a great note to go out on because the idea that even as a creator, forget, you know, put brand sponsorship aside, as a creator, that authenticity needs to be there because exactly. people can see through it. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So, you know, I was creating content. I was kind of talking about like celebrity and influencer news. And, you know, I, I obviously I started it out because I knew it would do well. And I didn't start it because I genuinely was interested in these influencers. I was just like, I want something that is quick and easy and I know is going to do well. So I was doing it and it was, you know, getting the results that I liked. But then over time, I was like, this feels like a chore. Like I hate this, but you know, it does well. So I'm just going to keep pushing it out, but I'm going to put in like the most minimal effort that I can. And the views started getting worse. And people in the comments were like, your content has gotten lazy. And I'm like, I mean, I know it's because I don't want to do it. But this is exactly like, it's great that you brought that up because it exactly shows just how much an audience and how much people can actually pick up on things like this. Like they're not oblivious. So yeah, that authenticity is is super crucial when it comes to things like this. So how big did you get and how fast did you get there? And then and then talk about the downside, like when, when it started to go down. So I went viral pretty quickly. I think it was like, honestly, my first video. And I was getting like a 1000 followers or subscribers a day. And then I grew eventually, I think maybe after like 2 years, I grew to almost 130,000 subscribers. And then I would say after the 2 year mark, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. You know, So that's when my, my content kind of started to get lazier. And I was like, it's not worth it at this point. So... I eventually just stopped making them all together. It's just, it's, it's not worth it for, to me, yeah. but I, that's just, yeah, it goes to show just how much vulnerability and authenticity matters, I think. Yeah. Thousand followers a day, a hundred thousand on YouTube. That's why you're on Team Infelicity, Natalie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. This was awesome. If you like these, we do them every other Thursday at noon. Definitely join our email list and we'll send invites out. I'm John Davids from Influicity, Natalie Litchik as well. Thank you guys for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.